This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. What book do you wish would get the film treatment? 651-641-1071. This is the Colleen and Bradley Show, My Talk 1071. I'm Colleen Lindstrom. That's Bradley Trainer. Hi. Bradley, why are we asking? Uh, because our good friend Denis Villeneuve. Otherwise known as Dennis Villeneuve. I don't I know. Say, you I can't it? say that name, so the I don't guy know if he who, and I are friends. The guy who did Dune is doing another movie, uh, eventually, that's based on a book, much like Dune was, uh, that I love and adore in the science fiction realm. And when I saw this, I was like, thank God, because I have gone digging before to find out, will this uh, story ever come to pass as a film because it's such a great story. And it turns out it will. And again, it's uh, Denis Villeneuve who is going to be doing this movie. And the movie is called Rendezvous with Rama. Now, that's a story probably, unless you're a huge sci-fi nerd, you've never heard of. Um, because it was like from the 70s. It's 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 not obscure per se, but it's just not... It doesn't have the wide... Uh, sort of fandom that a book like Dune does because it's just one story. There are, um, what's the word sequels, but this one was good. Yeah. The main story is kind of the thing and it's a one-off anyway. When I found out that he was going to be doing the movie rendezvous with Rama, also the rights owned partially by Morgan Freeman and has for years. I only know that because I previously went looking anyway, Morgan Freeman is going to be a part of this experience. I don't know if he's actually going to be in it. Um, but this movie will come after, uh, Mr. Villeneuve is done with uh, the second or third Dune movie. Whatever, whenever he's done with Dune, he's heading on to this territory. Done with Dune, and um, it's it's a fun story. It's basically there's just this giant thing floating through space, and it comes into our solar system, and people go exploring it, and it's kind of a crazy ride. Um, what they find, and I won't give away any spoilers, but. Um, so that made me happy because that's a book I've always thought would make a great movie. And you know what's interesting about that too, Bradley, is like there are books we we've all read books where you're like, oh, I'm I, I don't know, maybe you haven't, I, but there have been books in my life that I've read and I've thought I hope this doesn't become a movie mm. because it could so easily get ruined. But there are other books that you read and you go, gosh, this would lend itself so. Yeah. Great to like a visual storytelling. Yeah, and I hope it, it, the the other thing that makes me happy is that it, it's it's Denis Villeneuve. It's the Dune guy Mm -hmm. who's doing this movie because um, if it was like, hey, Bob uh, McCracken, McCracken. I don't know him. And oh, he did the like the last uh, dinosaur samurai movie. Like what? Yeah, you'd be like, then I'd be like, oh, this is not going to be good. And then I'm going to be sad. But But this is a very, very um, thoughtful uh, individual. And the other thing I know about him is that he only does things at this point in his career that he's passionate about, um, or at least that's what he said. 
So that makes me think he is also passionate about this story and then feels a certain ownership. And I think that is a good thing in terms of the final film that we will see on the big screen. 651-641-1071. Is there a book that you wish would be uh, on the screen in one way or another? We've got Aaron on the line. Hi, Aaron. Aaron, what's the book that you want to see on the screen? The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna. I don't know that one. Tell us about it. Oh, it's fabulous. It's about this girl, a 13-year-old girl whose dad, alcoholic father moves her and her mother out to middle of nowhere, Alaska. Hmm. It's really good. Interesting. And it's just, is it like, when you say good, it's a good, like, like what is, is it a thriller? Is it just an amazing No, human? no, it's more like sort of, I guess, sort of like a coming to age story. Her father's an alcoholic and there's yeah. a lot about how he, you know, how all that progresses and stuff. And she's 13 and they've moved from, it might've been Washington out into the middle of, and they're in the middle of nowhere and everything goes wrong and all the people in town help out. And it's just visually, it would be fabulous because it's in Alaska. And then I'm struggling to picture exactly what the, what they're talking about. There's this beach that appears when the tide goes out and, you know, thank you for your call, Erin. That is one thing when she said there's like a piece that I'm struggling to picture. That's one of those things when you're reading a book and you're like, I want to see what somebody's idea of this looks yeah. like that makes you want to have it up on, on the for screen. Sure. Let's go to Amy. Thanks for holding Amy. Amy, what is a book that you've read that you wish would uh, make it to the big screen? It's by Minnesota author William Kent Kruger, This Tenderland. Mm, what's that one about? It's it's set around the Great Depression, and it's two young boys who are put into a reform school, um, one of the Native American reform schools, and how they have to escape with another um, from the abuse that's going on there and try and find their family members. It's also kind of a coming of age. Um, he's just so descriptive in how they travel and, again, in around the Great Depression time, trying to get through when they're like 12 years old. Huh. Joining a like camps along the river and wow. other things as they're being hunted down by people to bring them back to the school. Wow, that's fascinating. I know I've that not does heard of that book. Sound interesting. See, now we're also getting book recommendations I know. I'm, too. I'm enjoying it. Thank you, Amy. Let's go to Steph. Hi, Steph. Steph, what is the book that you wish uh, you could see on the big screen? Um, I would love to see Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Okay, what's that one about? That one, it gets a little spicy. Um, someone ends up being the nanny for her boyfriend's ex um, and just everything, how that plays out. Um, it's really interesting. Interesting. Okay, Sorry, again, I've, putting that on the to-read list. Thank you, Steph. On Google, it says, It tells the story of a young black woman who's wrongly accused of kidnapping while babysitting a white child in the events that follow. Interesting. So it sounds, you know, like that could be a you know, a very thrilling read. And it was like just recently published. So that sounds like probably one that people were uh, a a big pandemic read. Yeah. Right. Because it was just published uh, at the end of 2019. Listen, I, I just feel like I got a great big uh, list of book recommendations. I'm gonna have to dig in. And uh, if I remember correctly, there is a movie that's actually going to happen. Well, this actually is a series. This is a series that actually drops today on HBO max. And it's a, Listen, you might not be interested in watching this because it may hit a little too close to home right now, but it is a it's a show based on the book Station Eleven, and this was a um, 
a novel uh, by Emily St. John Mandel that was published in 2014. So before the pandemic, but it tells the story of a terrible flu that rips through the world and what has happened to people 20 years later and what the world looks like. So it's one of those like dystopian kind of stories and, I read it during the pandemic, like at the very beginning of the pandemic. I didn't know what it was about, really. I just thought it had been recommended to me. And I was like, oh, this looks like a great read. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? But as you read it, just, you know, the texture of the characters and the what the world, the way that she paints a picture of how the world has evolved and um, who these people are and, and who the good people are and who the bad people are and all that kind of stuff. It just is. It's a. It was a really fascinating read, and it is now a series that just the first episode dropped today on HBO Max. And I well, it's one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so I that's cannot wait. That's a good uh, recommendation. I know. I've read good reviews, so I'm hoping um, that it delivers. But it sounds like it does. When we come back on the Colleen and Bradley show, somebody that always delivers, Jamie Spears. And when I say always delivers, delivers I mean crap. something for us to talk about after this on My Talk 1071. Spears is always a problem child on the Colleen and Bradley show. My Talk 1071. I'm Colleen Lindstrom. That's Bradley Trainer. What is that man up to now? Well, he's denying that he had anything to do with that Diane Sawyer interview that Brittany brought up recently. And that thing in general is hilarious because. Of course, he had everything to do with it because you'll remember at the time that he had that interview with Diane or that he set up that interview with Diane Sawyer, he was in control of Britney's conservatorship. So to say he didn't have anything to do with it. Well, like, does he think we can't do math? Right. Uh, Well, I mean, allegedly, supposedly exclusive. And uh, this interview takes place or I should say not this interview. This story exclusively is told to us courtesy of Variety. And um, you'll remember, for those of you who maybe have no idea what I'm talking about, Brittany slammed Diane Sawyer, said, kiss my white bleep uh, to Diane Sawyer. She said for that sit down interview uh, when she was 21 years old. By the way, Diane Sawyer has like not entered the chat because she's like, I don't want to be a part of your narrative. Anyway, I mean, she's probably smart. However, um, and what Brittany said at the time was that implicated her dad. Pretty lame of my dad and three men to show up at my door when I could hardly speak. They put Diane Sawyer in my living room. They forced me to talk. That's what she said on Instagram. She goes on to say I was a baby. I was almost 22. I didn't understand, but I do now. And in a statement issued to Variety, a lawyer for Mr. Spears... Alex Weingarten denied any involvement, saying, quote, Mr. Spears has no idea what Ms. Spears is talking about. Jamie never set up any interview with Diane Sawyer and was not present for any interview. He had nothing to do with Britney's career at this point and was completely uninvolved. Oh, actually, yeah. So this was before the conservatorship. But again, you she didn't set up the interview. Right. There is nobody else who could have set up. Well, that that's interview. then my question is, OK, so not you. Cool. Uh, cough up who did then yeah like who did yeah fine also like I'll go with whatever you're trying to tell me right now Jamie Spears but then tell who did also but I don't believe you also what are we arguing about right now I mean literally what are we arguing that's a great question Mm -hmm. no but like literally we're arguing about Jamie Spears setting up an interview with Diane Sawyer for Britney Spears right Right. That's not the thing that we should be talking about. No, we should be talking about Jamie Spears. Yeah, what we, we should, should be yeah, go ahead, talking sorry. about with Jamie Spears, of course, is the thing that he is 
uh, financially, fiduciarily, legally responsible for, and that's mismanaging her funds over the last 14 years. Yeah. So methinks, perhaps, the statement to the press, a very specific, overt, un-asked-for statement to a major media outlet, is far more about distracting us all into this side story, the sideshow, which, you know, to your point, now we're going to start to debate, well, who did send up the interview? Right. Well, okay, let's say he never did. I don't care. Because in the grand scheme of things, that's not the thing that's going to uh, lead to results for Britney Spears, right? The thing that's going to lead to results for Britney Spears is him having to cut a check back to his daughter for the money that he bilked out of her, you know, allegedly for the last 14 right, years. Right, like being accountable for the the ways that he mismanaged yeah. so much in her life. The other, I will say, can I just also say, I know that this isn't what this is about, but I do want to hear what Diane Sawyer has to say. Yeah, like, I think I a lot of people... I desperately want her to enter the chat. I, I, I do, and... Here's what I respect. If this is the case, I can respect Diane Sawyer under the following circumstances. I can imagine a world wherein Diane Sawyer is like, look, um, don't make me out to be the bad guy here. I showed up to do a job mm-hmm. at a time when the world was clamoring for news about Britney. And I felt that I could offer a unique perspective, one that was kind hearted. Now, I'm not saying that's true, mm-hmm. but I'm saying I can see a situation wherein Diane Sawyer is, is like, as a woman, I find it very interesting as a professional, also trailblazer, um, first of her kind, pioneer in a like, male dominated a, in field a dominated world yeah. like oh i think it's interesting that the media wants to point their fingers at another woman mm-hmm. maybe we could go back to the people who actually had the power to change things for britney spears but sure let's talk about the style of my questions from mm-hmm. an interview that had very little to do now does she owe britney a personal conversation maybe that would you know like sure i would like all of those things right. you would love to see uh, Diane Sawyer issue a statement that says, you know, I'm troubled by what I've learned about Brittany. It was a different time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not answer, ask the same questions that I asked back then. But I also think we need to be open to the possibility that she was given questions or given a line of questioning by whomever did set up the interview. Yeah. You know, that's not, I mean, she she's a real reporter. She did her homework too. But Certainly, she didn't arrive there with like a blank slate. Well, yeah, and right, and that that my point would be like Diane Sawyer. It's not that she has no culpability in this. It's that why are we focusing on Diane Sawyer when right. really there are so many bigger fish to fry? But I do, you know, from you know curiosity standpoint, I certainly would love to see Diane Sawyer sit down and talk to Oprah. But then I would also like Diane Sawyer to tell us what it was like to be Diane Sawyer in the 1990s, early 2000s when. She really was a force of her own and had to have been battling some extreme institutional misogyny, sexism, whatever you want to call it. Katie Kirk just wrote a whole book about it. The fact that she was doing the Britney Spears interview, Mm -hmm. like that was probably one of two options she had for interviews. Mm -hmm. Because at the time, Ted Koppel Mm -hmm. was not going to be doing the sit down Britney Spears interview. Right. Because, you know, I mean, you can just see that and I'm here for that. And I can respect that Diane Sawyer's like, if I'm going to tell my story, better believe I'm going to do it on my terms. And also there's a book coming out in six months that I'd be happy to sit down and talk to you about wherein I discuss these things. I would live for that as Mm -hmm. well. 
Also, I do just want to mention that this is the second time in the space of probably, what, nine months, probably, that this exact interview has come into conversation. The first time was that one of those, the first Britney Spears documentary. Um, What was that one called? Not being Britney Spears. Britney Spears or something. I don't remember. Leaving. The one from the New York Times. Yeah. There's two pieces to that one. No, it was the one before that. Framing Britney Spears. It was the one before Framing Britney Spears that wasn't New York Times. There was another one. um, There was another documentary that was the first one. And we were looking forward to the New York Times one because this one, you know, had a lot of stuff in it. But but one of the things they featured was that interview with Diane Sawyer. And it made you look at it. It was cringy. In a whole different light because we have the benefit of time passing. Absolutely. but yeah, uh, feel free to tell us anything you want, Diane Sawyer. <laughs> we're all, we're, we're all yours. I'll give you the hotline, girl. Yeah, Call when me. we come back on the Colleen and Bradley show, dumb people doing dumb things, crazy, stupid idiots after this on My Talk 1071. Things we do love to tell you about them on the Colleen and Bradley show, My Talk 1071. I'm Colleen Lindstrom. That's Bradley Trainer. And uh, we do have a name for these dumb people doing dumb things. We call them crazy, stupid idiots. Well, then. I guess one could say, that's a crazy, stupid idiot. Colleen and Bradley present CSI. It stands for crazy, stupid idiots. It sure does. Why? Well, because the world is full of crazy, stupid idiots. Dumb people doing dumb things repeatedly over and over again, oftentimes in the state of Florida. Florida. And sometimes other places. Like... England. Oh. Jolly old England. Uh, We are going to meet in England John Watson and Mark Goodram. Okay. That's a fun name. They got super lucky. Okay. They got so lucky. They, now, this must, must be different in England. You can use a credit card to purchase lottery tickets lotto tickets sure and they did they bought uh lottery tickets and uh, they bought i think they bought like five tickets and the first three were not were nothing uh the fourth one though they won about 13 dollars on and they were like okay all right so they're coming out ahead yeah then they get to the fifth one and that one got them four million pounds which is equivalent to $5.3 million. Oh my God, that's awesome. Congrats. Right? Huge. So great. Congratulations. One problem. They shan't be keeping that money. Oh, yeah. Why? Well, remember I told you that they used a credit card to purchase the tickets. Okay. Was it expired? It wasn't theirs. Uh, uh, is that stealing? Yeah, they stole a credit card. It was a debit card to buy the lottery tickets and um, so here's how they found out because you might be thinking like how did they figure this out well uh, when John one of the guys John Watson called the lottery headquarters mm-hmm. he said yeah you know we won th- we won this money and um, Mark my friend he bought the winning ticket we're going to split the money and the, the people at the lottery office office were like, great, that's awesome. We're going to need your bank accounts. And Mark was like, Mark, who allegedly bought the ticket, was like, I don't have a bank account. 
Oh, that's awkward. And the lottery people were like, but you used a debit card that came out of a bank account, Mark. <laughs> if that is your name. Which it yeah. is his real name, but it was not his real card. And thus. Whose card was it? Uh, it was some, they stole. They just stole somebody's. Oh, because I was going to say, does that person then win? Well, I think that's the good question. Not to me, um, would do it. like if I were that, if you stole my card and one million, five million dollars, I would like that money, please. Yes, and thank thank you. you. That was my money that bought the ticket. Um, they have been uh, arrested for fraud and they've been sentenced to eighteen months in prison. Oh God, yeah, that's kind of a reversal of fortune, if you will. Uh, but there is, there are. I love this. Here, I'm going to show you this. This is the. There was a moment where they thought that they were the yeah. winners, and they really lived it up. They had um, some, I think those are called gerbo, what, it not, what are those things called? Those big giant bottles of booze? I just think they're like, there's a name big, for Big it. bottles? The, oh. um. Great um, big bottles? No, the Magnum? Yeah, but the, there's This is like a super Magnum. Gerboa, I think it's called. Oh, okay. Also um, make great jeans. I was going to say, they have great jeans too. Gerboa jeans, yes. Uh, a jerboam of champagne contains three liters of champagne and is equal to four standard champagne bottles. Ugh. Jerboam. Hmm. I don't know why. I we know learned that. something yeah, new today. Thank you, Bradley. You're welcome. Thank you for that. Yeah, something tells me. Oof, that's why you win. Oh, I stole a lottery ticket and won $5 million. Okay. That was where again? England. Okay, now we're going to Florida. Florida. And I would like to tell you about a Cape Coral guy who uh, is a COVIDiot of sorts. And that's why we are telling you this story. A COVIDiot, of course, is someone who... Does something COVID-related that's crazy, stupid, idiot, worth the... Yes. Um, and the thing that he did that was crazy, stupid, idiot, or COVIDiot, generally speaking, is not all that uncommon. That is, um, it's minor covid status. He didn't wear a mask on an airplane. I feel like you can't do that. But what he did do in response to them saying, like, you need to wear a mask, earned him crazy, stupid, idiot status. Would you like to imagine what he did in response to them saying, well, you need to wear a mask? Did he poo on his seat? Yeah, poo on his seat? No. Uh, there's no doo-doo involved. Okay. Well, actually, I can't I can't 100% say that, and I'll tell you why specifically. But the man we're talking about is a guy named Adam Jen, or Jenny. He uh, was heading to D.C. from Fort Lauderdale, and apparently he does this all the time. He does not like to wear masks. He thinks, quote, 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 I think the best way to illustrate absurdity is with absurdity, because he thinks mask mandates are absurd. Are absurd. Okay. He goes on to say, every single flight has been met with different reactions to the thing he ended up doing, because uh, he does this all the time, from mm-hmm. the flight crew. Some with a wild appreciation, others confrontational. Ultimately, he makes it to his destination, but not this time, because this time they were like, dude, you can't do that, and now you're never flying on United ever. Right, so bye! And the thing he did was put a pair of panties on his face. Yep. Put, I don't. I can think of a lot of reactions that doesn't make the list. So his signature move is to wear panties as a mask, red. Oh my gosh! Lacy lady thongs on wow. his. I almost said the word. That's another mm-hmm. word for mouth, but mm-hmm. I won't because it's also Thanks. another word for lady parts. Thank you. Uh, um, Thanks. Uh, <laughs> and um, he put it on his face. 
And you can see the video of him. Oh my gosh. Sitting in the seat and the flight attendant's like, yeah, so we can't do that. And you're going to need to wear a mask. And he's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And so this time they just were like, so we're going to have to escort you off the plane and uh, you're never going to fly on United again. And he's like, well, okay, I just hope that Spirit Airlines has a better sense of humor tomorrow. (laughs) Dude, I mean, keep going because something tells me. You're going to be driving home. You're <laughs> you're going to have like one of those luggage carts at the airport to get home on. Whee! And you won't even get one of those because you need, you know, like a dollar or a quarter to like get your get that thing out of the, the holder. Can we just give it up for um, flight attendants right now? Yeah. Like yeah. you all are amazing. Yeah. And add to that airport. um the uh, the people at the gate because it was the people at the gate too who were like so I mean you know feel free to try to think you're going to get on this plane but once you do they're going to have you come off right so, so everybody was doing their part to make sure that the rest of us were safe and you know look oh it's just my move it's just my move everybody thinks it's funny yeah yeah that's the problem nobody actually thinks it's funny but they like watching you act like a fool because it's great entertainment right. and guess what they can still fly home on united so he, what you did yeah. was just kick yourself in the teeth he sure is amused with himself yeah. i'm funny and mm. now he's like going on news uh like news yeah. outlets and oh. telling people about how He's really sticking it to the man yeah. by being forced off planes. Yeah, don't encourage. I'll this. show them. Mm. <laughs> I'll remove my travel opportunities for future flights. Well, we win. Yeah, yeah, we actually mm-hmm. win. Thank yeah. you. No, sir. that means he won't be sitting next yeah. to any of us anytime soon. Also, <laughs> like, who owns those panties? Just him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just him. He probably stole them. Uh, <laughs> where are we going next? We're going to California. California. Oh, this is a oh, this is a story, uh, and I want to start with nobody was seriously injured in this story. Yay! Right, uh, our crazy, stupid idiot today is sixty-three-year-old Mark Shell. He was sleeping in the back of his uh, pickup truck, not in the back. Sorry, he was sleeping in his pickup truck. Okay, on the side of the road when uh, a couple teenagers doing what teenagers do whizzed by. Oh. And launched from the uh, window of their car some water balloons. <laughs> it's so funny. Very teenage, had, yeah. Right. And it's a water balloon. Um, it woke him up and he looked around and he was like, okay, I'm fine. Everything's fine. But then he saw the teenagers making a U turn and getting ready oh, to make God. another pass by and they were going to do it all this over is again. Not good. It's not going to end well. Do you want to guess what happened next? I mean, I don't. Uh, was it violent? Yep. Did it involve a firearm? It did. Oh, okay. yes. He grabbed his 12 gauge shotgun oh from his truck and fired it into their driver's side door. Um, they were not seriously hurt. As I said at the beginning, nobody here been. was seriously hurt. However, the driver, who was one of the teenagers, had minor injuries. Uh, the guy who took his 12 gauge and shot at a car full of teenagers who were just throwing water balloons. I'm not like, I don't want to condone that, but are we surprised? I would just say like, uh, don't, don't do either of those things. Right. Right. Like if you're not in an imminent threat, like if, if you're bringing a gun to a water balloon fight, I kind of feel like it's a little, it's not quite fair. It's not quite fair. Yeah. Uh, but also 
Don't bring water gun fights or uh, water balloon fights to somebody who's not prepared for one. True. True. Because he might be prepared for a different. Kind of <laughs> yes, exactly. So I don't think either of those individuals made good choices in this story. Well, he really didn't make a good choice because Mark, uh, Mark Shell, 63 year old Mark Shell. Yeah. Um, had a prior conviction and was not allowed to own guns. Oh, okay. So, so he had even less of a reason to have a firearm. Yeah. So he's going to face charges for that, but also for shooting at an occupied vehicle. I mean, that's generally frowned upon. Assault with a firearm and attempted murder. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's, listen, best of luck to you, sir. You know, no, actually, no luck to you. When we return on the Colleen and Bradley show, it is time for us to play a little game. That game is called the throwback. Live after this on my talk one oh seven one.